Welcome to Jews Taekwondo Podcast. Welcome today. We have Master William Howard. He's an eighth degree black belt and he's from Houston, Texas. How are you doing, Mr. Master Howard? I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing Great. well. Thanks okay. for being on our podcast. Oh. Um, Thank you for having me. How about when we start with um, maybe give us a little background about your Taekwondo history, maybe a little bit of, um, yeah, yes, give sir. us a little background sir. on your Taekwondo history. Uh, started Taekwondo in 1982 when I was 12 years old. Uh, young, young kid. And uh, I stayed, I've been doing Taekwondo ever since. And it was ITF Taekwondo from day one. From day one. I was very, very fortunate that I ended up at a good school. Uh, I tested for my black belt when I was 16. But I actually started teaching as a red belt at the age of 15 years old. My instructor had three schools. He would do two nights a week at each of the schools. And one night of the week, it overlapped. So he wanted me to go down and start teaching at the club uh, because the people that he had helping him out weren't doing the best of jobs. I was only a red belt at the time, couldn't even drive a car. One of, one of the adult blue belts had to drive to my house and pick me up and take me down to class. But the, uh, <laughs> the guys that he had helping him came from another school and they were uh, brown belts in karate. So he let them come over as red belt black tabs, two brothers. And uh, they didn't teach it the way he did because they had come up underneath him and they were kind of running the school into the ground. So he told me, he said, I'm gonna send you down there because nobody knows you. And I want you to go down there and be tough on them. Do everything with them, make them train as hard as you do. Don't try to make any friends, don't try to make anybody happy. You just go down there and train them, be hard on them. So I did. And I didn't make any friends. <laughs> None of them liked me. But I, I was respectful to the, all the adults that were older than me. And after about four months, my instructor was able to start coming to the school again. And I wouldn't need to be there anymore. And he went to the parents and told them. And the parents were like, no, no, no. We, we like him. He's strict, but he's fair. And what he requires everybody else to do, he does it himself. So we like this. We think the school's going to grow. So I basically taught there for uh, the next nine years and uh, taught all the classes. My instructor would be there for some of the classes. But uh, So the job that I do now, I was pretty much doing it at the age of 15. And I started to calculate that the amount of time that I was teaching I was putting in about the same amount of hours that my high school teachers were putting in in a week's time. So <laughs> they were they were teaching at school, and I was doing the same thing just in the evenings. So that's yeah. really interesting. Yes, sir. So how did you find Master Sesco? Uh, well, I found Master Sesco by pure happenstance. My dad was the person that got me into martial arts. He was in the Navy. Um, never did martial arts himself, but he met a guy who was a black belt in karate. And they hung out together, they drank beer together, but uh, he was always impressed with this man's discipline. And this man would show him some stuff and he was fascinated by it. And my dad had a good amount of discipline himself. Uh, my dad told me a story that he met a bunch of Navy SEALs when he was stationed in Connecticut at the Naval base, the submarine base. He met a bunch of Navy SEALs at a bar and they're all drinking and my dad was kind of drunk and he made a comment. He's like, I could do anything those Navy SEALs could do. I could do it for a day. And the Navy SEALs that were there, they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll come and get you someday and you can try our training. <laughs> they left the bar at like 3 a.m. The next morning at 5.30 a.m., they woke him out of his bunk and said, come on, you said you could do it, now come and do it. And my dad trained with those Navy SEALs for one day. He said he almost died, but he wouldn't give up. 
and forevermore those guys actually were very impressed with his determination and discipline. So my dad always made himself a promise he was going to do martial arts. So when I was 11, uh, he, he laid carpet for a living and he had uh, a, a friend that also laid carpet and this guy was a black belt and this guy was going to start his own karate school. And so we showed up on day one. I still remember my first karate class. I remember it was held in a uh, room that was a dance studio, hard wooden floor. I remember going back and putting on a uniform, how scared I was, but how excited I was too. Um, we trained there for about three months in Gojiru Karate. I learned pretty much the basics, you know. Walking stance was a front stance, a back stance was an L stance, how to punch, how to do a couple kicks. But it was hard for us to drive to there. So my dad looked for some place local in our place, and that's where he found Master Sesco. But this guy, Sesco, was teaching Taekwondo. So my dad gave me a choice. He said, there are two schools. One school does weapons. One school doesn't do weapons. Well, I'm 12 years old. I want to do weapons. Yeah. Ninja movies are all the craze. I want to do weapons. So I told my dad, well, I want to go do weapons. He's like, well, I'm not going to go do weapons. I'm going to go here. So it's going to be kind of hard. Why don't you come here and see this first? So I did Taekwondo, and it was pretty, pretty cool. So I liked it. And in the early stages, I, I did okay because I knew some of the basics. Right about the time I hit yellow belt or green belt, uh, things started to get hard. And I was not a good student. Oh, I was the <laughs> worst student. Always getting push-ups in class, always talking, always out of turn, always standing in the corner. And in fact, right around green belt, my instructor, Master Sesco, asked my dad, don't bring him back. I don't think he's good for Taekwondo. He's a disruption in class. And my dad actually begged him, please, just give him another two weeks. I'll try to work with him. Consequently, I'm Master Sesco's senior student. I'm his highest ranking black belt at the rank of eighth degree. I was his first world champion. And, uh, you know, I've been teaching, you know, I have over 300 black belts that I've promoted throughout the years, all because one man showed patience with a bad little kid. And that sounds like a lot of familiar stories. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, yes, sir. There are, there are definitely, I have definitely some students that are challenges, and you go, you know what? Those are the kids that you really didn't need help. Yes, it's not the ones that are already disciplined and that are already gifted, you know. It's the ones that need assistance. Don't give up on them. Oh, yes, sir. It's kind of been my motto anyway. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And um, you can only go so far, though. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I made it up to the rank of blue belt, kind of skating through the system, not working too hard. I couldn't remember any of my patterns. If you asked me to do Don Goon, I couldn't remember how it started. But if you gave me the first two movements, I could probably finish it. Technique was horrible. And I actually quit. I quit Taekwondo around the rank of blue belt. And just my parents, they always worked. So my dad wasn't able to continue because he was always working. He made it up to the level of green belt. He came back like seven or eight different times, tried to get going. So he's been a he's been a green belt for 34 years. and uh, But he's a good fighter because he would come back and fight the next crop of black belts. So <laughs> he's actually been around the block quite a lot. But I quit Taekwondo and I was out for about two months and I, I was going to the county fair. And after school, I went down the county fair, had a pass to go in all day, and I saw Master Sesco walking towards me. I thought God was coming down the street. I had been to class for two months, hadn't told him, and I thought, man, I'm gonna die. And he came up to me, and he's like, hey, good to see you. Haven't seen you at class for a while. When are you coming back? I'm like, I'm coming back tomorrow night, sir. I'll be back tomorrow night, because out of just pure fear. And I did, I went back. I still didn't have my heart into it. And um, about a month later, I was at school, 
Um, you know, I was 14 years old, and uh, we had an awards ceremony towards the end of the year, and I sat there. I sat in the awards ceremony. I didn't get any awards because school, I was the same way. I just didn't put forth any effort. I, I was intelligent, but I just didn't try. Yeah. And I didn't get any awards. I didn't even get an award for uh, attendance. And later that day, I was home mowing the grass of the people across the street. And I was having one of those conversations with yourself where you're getting real with yourself. And one side of my brain was talking to the other side of my brain. is like, you know what? You're really kind of a loser. <laughs> you don't do well in any sports. You don't do well in school. You've never really stuck with anything except for Taekwondo. You really kind of stink at that, too. Uh, you know, when are you going to do something good for your life? And it was weird. It was at that moment in time I kind of made a promise to myself that there, one time in my life I wanted to actually say that I was good at something. After I got done mowing the grass, I remember I put the lawnmower up. I went inside. I was all dirty. Took a shower. After I got out of the shower, I put my uniform on at my house. I moved the furniture in the living room, and I did my first actual practice doing Taekwondo at home with nobody telling me. And I just did the stuff I could remember. And the very next day I went into class, I asked Master Sesco a question. Not the typical question. Is class going to be over soon? <laughs> I actually asked him a question about a technique, and he about fell over. He showed me how to do it, and I went home and I practiced on it the next day. And over the next three to four months, I kept asking him more questions, and I kept practicing and practicing. And I was a red tab at the time. From the period of red tab to red belt, that training happened. On the day I tested for my red belt, Grandmaster Tompkins and the Phoenix Group, we had to do a suspended 180-degree flying reverse turning kick. One adult board. Nobody ever made that break in our school. Everybody knew when you made it to Red Belt, you were on probation. It was just the way it was. <laughs> Nobody made the break on testing day. I spun around and broke that board on my first try. And Grandmaster Tompkins made a comment to me. He pointed to me and um, said, the type of determination that I see out of this young man right here, Bill Howard, is the type of determination will, that will take somebody like him and take him to the world championships and get him a gold medal. This is what you want. He gave me best test. Awesome. I never got best test in my life. But it was almost like he foreshadowed something for me. He told me in kind of uncertain words, you are going to go to the world championships and you're going to win a gold medal. And at that moment in time, I had a, a thought, a dream. And what was interesting is two months later, they came back for a testing and Grandmaster Tompkins brought his wife, Mrs. Master Jean Tompkins. Fourth to, uh, at the time, she was fourth degree black belt. First female world champion in the ITF. The only female in the encyclopedia with fourth degree stripes on. She was General Che's star child. He loved her completely. And he wanted a female in his encyclopedia. But he didn't have any fourth degrees. He wanted a female fourth degree in the pictures. So when they were in Canada... He said, I want you to be in my encyclopedia and I'm going to take pictures of you and I want you to wear my uniform. They were about the same size. She was freaking out inside. <laughs> Some of the Korean masters were like, you can't do that. You can't do that. And General Che looked at them and said, yes, I can. My book. She went and put his uniform on and took pictures. And she's the only fourth degree female in the encyclopedia listed as that. And then General Che told her, you now have to earn those stripes. And she did. Made it all the way to 7-3. But I got to watch one of the best pattern performers in the world do two patterns at my school as a demonstration. She did Dosan and Walrong. And I had never seen the human body move with such power. It was intoxicating. And right there at that moment, I told myself, I want what she has. I want to be able to do those movements that way. And 
I noticed that she had gone to the World Championships and won a gold medal, so that helped me understand, okay, if you go to the World Championships and you win a gold medal in patterns, you'll have these skills. So I went to Grandmaster Tompkins at the rank of Red Belt Black Tab and said, sir, I want to be an international competitor and I want to win a gold medal in patterns. What do I need to do? He said, okay. And he sat down, he wrote me up a list of stuff. He said, I want you to do this for the next six months. I want you to do it three days a week, three, three times, three days, and then take a day off and then another three days. So I trained six days a week. And I did that religiously every single day and made it to first degree black belt. And what was interesting is the day that I started training for international competition, I trained three times a day, six days a week. And before I could make it to my first international competition, seven years had passed between day one and day two, the time of the international competition. I did that for seven years of training. And every time I was getting better. And Grandmaster Tompkins would look at me every six months and reevaluate what I was doing and then structure my next set of training in there. And after seven years, I went to my first international competition and I won nothing. But in the patterns, I made it all the way to where if I would have won one match, I would have got to go for gold and silver. I made a mistake at the end of the pattern. And that cost me that round. So now I got to go for bronze. I missed my mark. The other guy got on his mark. I missed my mark by one foot. I got fourth place in patterns. And what was weird is I thought my strength was in sparring. But I found out by going there, I was actually strength was in patterns. Power breaking. I was in team power breaking. I was the smallest guy there. I weighed 115 pounds, competing against guys that weighed 200 pounds. I broke more boards than them on the reverse turning kick. But because it was in team event, I didn't get any points. So I came home and I had to reevaluate, and it was tough. I thought seven years, three times a day, and I got nothing. But I dug down deep and I said, I just need to train harder. Went home, it was another three years before I went to my next world championship. On day one, I got two bronze. Keep going. Day two, I got a silver medal in team patterns. And day three, I won the first gold medal in the reverse turning kick break. And then one year later, I went and finally won my gold medal in patterns. So, nice. And it taught me something that, you know, when you think one month is too long or two months are too long, nah, you got to put your time in. You got to put your time in. You know, it, sometimes it takes 10, 15 years to get there. Yeah. And through that, I learned discipline. And uh, through that, I, it was interesting. I didn't go to college, but I took some college classes. And my school classes were never really good. I didn't get good grades because I didn't apply myself. But I did apply myself to Taekwondo. So when I took those college classes, I got straight A's. Because I learned something from Taekwondo. I learned that I can learn. I had the ability to learn. And if I just put forth effort. There's a lot of value in Taekwondo. Yes, sir. You know? Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. So it's interesting. Um, your journey is a little bit different than my journey. <clears throat> because you have, um, when I became a black, I moved away from where I was training with um, Grandmaster Sabri Soleil. Yes, sir. To, you know, some 400 miles. And there was no ITF up there. And I just trained with basically myself. And I trained with a couple of guys. Yes, sir. But I ended up just mostly teaching them. And <clears throat> didn't have someone to really to encourage me to compete. I, although we did some state and I've done some nationals, yes, sir. but not, didn't have an instructor who would say, let's go to, let's go here, or let's go here. Sure. You know, this kind of mentoring that, right? And sometimes I think about it, it's not a big deal. It is kind of neat, because now I, I get to work with a lot of black belts and trying to encourage them. And I have quite a few students that have 
done more competition, more successful than I am. Oh, yes, sir. Right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But I guess not everyone can be the start quarterback like yourself. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And Sometimes some, you're just a coach. Yes, sir. <laughs> and you know what? Some of the greatest coaches, you know, Grandmaster Tompkins, created so many world champions. But he was confined to a wheelchair in the later part of his life. Right. But, you know, it's... Um, I looked at the medals and the skills that I had and they were dwarfed by his knowledge and his ability to bring out the best in somebody. So when I look at somebody like you who didn't do that competition but you've created so many, oh, I have the highest of respect for you because you're able to teach people how to just do stuff that was amazing. And I really feel awesome. So, and oh, thanks. I yes, sir. Yes, sir. <clears throat> so, it, it's, um, you know, I know with, uh, like myself, I didn't want to be a Taekwondo instructor. That no. was kind of the interesting thing. I wanted to be a competitor. I started, Master Sesco sent me to the school because he needed help. Yeah. And I wanted to be a good student, so I helped. And then there came a point where I was teaching down there, a, a town that was about 30 miles out, a college wanted to do a, a, an adult additional education program. So they wanted a Taekwondo instructor, so Master Sesco sent me out there. So I was 16 years old, and I was considered a college professor teaching Taekwondo. <laughs> but I started to notice that by teaching Taekwondo, I was always answering questions, always had to perform, and it was interesting because I didn't do the competition to win the medals. I really didn't. That was never quite the goal. When I watched Mrs. Master Dean Tompkins perform, that's what I wanted to be able to do. At that moment's notice, when you're brought out in front of somebody, I wanted to be able to do it correctly. And I got to watch her in 1986 in Detroit, Michigan, at General Chase Seminar uh, in Detroit. He called two people out onto the floor to perform Kwangay. One fifth degree and one fourth degree. Fifth degree male. He came out and did Kwangay, and then he brought Mrs. Master Jean Tompkins out. And she did Kwangay. General Che gave her no corrections. General Che always corrected everybody. <laughs> yeah. Even if he said, very good job, now fix your walking stances. He looked at her and said, very good job. Are you going to the World Championships next year in 86 in Malaysia? She said, yes, sir. He said, you'll have very good chance at winning gold medal. Go sit down. And I thought, man, that's what I want. What so when General Che <laughs> calls me out on the floor, I want to be able to do it correctly. So I started to see that being a teacher, you also had to be a performer, too. And not always physical, you had to perform your knowledge also. So I really kind of fell in love with being a Taekwondo teacher. And when I won my last gold medal at the World Championships at the age of 30, I'm 48 now. I really feel like I'm in the prime of my life. My knowledge, my ability to relax, my flexibility is still good. I still have all my physical gifts. So I really feel like I'm at the physical peak of what I am in Taekwondo. But I retired from competition at the age of 30. And when I told Grandmaster Tompkins, I said, sir, I'm not competing anymore. He looked at me like I was from Mars. He said, why? I said, sir, there were certain goals I set, and I've done this. It wasn't about winning. It was about proving to myself that I could do it. And then I told him, these are my goals now. I want to be a great instructor. I want to learn your skill. I want to be able to sit in a chair and tell somebody, okay, do this, now do this, now think about this, now do this. And they perform perfect Taekwondo. I want that skill. I want to become a great master now. And uh, he said, okay. I'm good. I'm not going to ask you to compete anymore. And That's never, awesome. Never went back to that. So, but I, I love the fact that you know you want to be a mentor and you've brought people up because that that really became my true my true goal. Yeah. The competition just brought me to that stage. So, Very cool. Yes, sir. So, <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about something about 
doing Taekwondo and your your sisters were working and and your parents didn't really approve of it. Maybe you could share a little bit yes, your sir. story on that. That'd be, that's, I think that's a really interesting story. Yes, sir. Um, a lot of people thought I was a dreamer because you do high school, you get out of high school, you go to college, you get a job. And my instructor had taught Taekwondo in an area that was very depleted. Back in the 1930s and 1940s, during the coal industry, the area that I lived in was the richest area in the country. I mean, almost all the money came out of that area. The coal, the steel, it was awesome. Leading up to World War II, once all the coal mines started to go away because of the regulations, we become one of the poorest areas in all of the country. In fact, West Virginia went from one of the gross national product of coal, you know, being the coal producer of the United States and almost the world, to now the only thing that West Virginia can actually say that is their top industry is tourism. <laughs> That's it. It's tourism. So uh, you didn't make a lot of money there. And I noticed that Master Sesco always struggled to have a school, you know. But when you looked at all the other martial arts schools in the area, he was always the best. He had the highest number of students, the best people. We always wanted tournaments. Everybody knew about him. But it was still hard for him. So I never requested any money from him. My parents had kind of burned them a little bit. They're like, you need to go to him and you need to tell him to pay you. You're paying all your gas, and you're going down there, and you're working for free. And I always told him, I said, something in my mind, it's like God is telling me, just be patient. Bide your time. Do your job, and everything will be okay in the end. So I taught for Master Sesco for nine years and never asked him for a dime, never wanted a dime from him. I wanted him to be successful, and I knew that I was getting something because I would be able to watch him, how he interacted with students, with problems. And he always told me, he's like, you get to watch me deal with a problem. Sometimes I deal with it wrong. I lose a student. You get to see all my mistakes, and then you get to see how I fixed it. But yet, it never you never had to suffer from it. He said, so I envy you that when I was able to open up my own school, I already knew what to do. All I had to do was just teach Taekwondo. I, no problem. I had already dealt with all the problems. I just didn't have to do it on my own. But when I finally graduated from high school and told my parents I want to be a Taekwondo instructor, you know, they're like, no, you need to get a job. <laughs> but also I understood through Master Sesco, you know, he always had to have an extra job to keep the school running because you know, he couldn't charge that much. And there wasn't that many people that wanted to spend even that small amount of money to do martial arts. They just didn't have it. So I kind of knew going into it, you have to have another job. So I did some odd jobs. I hung draperies for a while, got real good. Everything I did, I tried to get real good at, like I was with Taekwondo, and be very patient, be very kind, show good courtesy. Um, my sister, ah. Oldest one, she went to college, got a great job, married, her husband's really great, they opened up a big company, made lots of money. My middle sister, she graduated high school valedictorian, went to the <laughs> second highest engineering school in the country, she had a job her sophomore year, everything was fabulous, they're making all kinds of money, and here I am, kid who barely got out of high school, the dreamer. And... Um, my oldest sister, their, their company was going through stages. You know, it takes 10, 15, 20 years to really get your business to mature. And they were having some money troubles because of contracts with businesses. My sister worked for a phenomenal company. She got extremely high and she got a little bit too high for a woman. And the good old boys club didn't like that. They fired her. 
And because of that, she filed a big lawsuit against them. She won. She proved that she was fired under nefarious reasons. And my mom actually called me up. I have my own Taekwondo school now. I'm very successful. She tells me, you know, your oldest sister who was doing great, your oldest sister who was doing great, she, um, She's having money troubles. Your middle sister, who was the star of the family, she's unemployed. And here you are, the dreamer who everybody laughed about, <laughs> the most successful person in the family right now. World champion, great school, doing awesome. And I had a lot of people that came to me and said, you know what, we were sorry. We just, we didn't see what you were searching for. We didn't think you could do it. But I, it's interesting. I um, I like the underdog. I like being the underdog. I liked it when people told me, you're not going to be successful at that because I love to prove them wrong. I really did. And I kind of found that that's kind of part of who I am. Silently yeah. work hard. You know, it's really interesting because I think a lot of people think getting a great job with a big company is awesome. Yes, and it is. I mean, yes, I, don't get me wrong. No one ever thinks of... Should I do Taekwondo? Yes, sir. I've been in the corporate world. There's nothing more rewarding than actually helping people. Oh. Teaching Taekwondo is one of those things. Okay. I mean, to have someone come up to you and say, Master Jew, thanks for saving my life. What do you mean? Yes, sir. Some guy pulled a knife out and I was able to start him. Up. It's like, wow, that's awesome, you know? That's worth more than any amount of income or money. Do you have the ability? Yes, sir. Why not take that opportunity? Oh, yes, sir. Because... It's great. Yes, sir. I think it's great. Anyway. Yes, sir. <laughs> and you know, I, um, I'm so blessed. I never really had a desire to make a million dollars, but I know that with my skills, my personality, I think if I changed the way I taught, I could. I could do it. But I would have to lose a lot of my morals to do it. But I'll tell you, it's um, the fact that I can change people's lives. It is, it is the greatest job that you would have. And my instructor, Grandmaster Tompkins, Hard life. Soldier in Vietnam, saw some of the worst combat. He was kind of predisposed to a lot of the mental problems that combat gives you with the PTSD. And his person of who he was, he probably shouldn't have survived as long as he did because everything was kind of against him. And my uncle was a Vietnam vet and suicide was a very big rate with Vietnam veterans. And I think Grandmaster Tompkins had every reason that that could have been his lot in life, was to end his life early on. But he cared about other people. And with me, he took the time to say, a young man like this with this kind of determination will be one of the best in the world. And because of that, this man who I didn't know showed some belief in a young boy who didn't even believe in himself. And through that, I developed a relationship where he was my Taekwondo father. And he mentored me and he taught me to care about others and to teach others and to bring them forward. And he was such a great master of people. And I think to myself, you know, Grandmaster Tompkins never made a million dollars. Probably a lot of people would think that he was very poor. But the amount of people's lives that he changed, including mine, was worth billions. And if I could do that for just one person, I will have honored his memory and I will have contributed to this world. So many of my people, many of my students ask me, Master Howard, would you ever do a different job if you could turn around and do it again? 
I live the most awesome life on the planet. I love what I do. And you know, it's interesting. Many people ask me when I fly on airplanes to Taekwondo events, they're like, uh, what do you do for a living? Well, if you tell them you do Taekwondo, you're going to have an hour-long conversation with them. <laughs> so a lot of times I tell people, well, I'm in manufacturing. They're like, oh, manufacturing. What do you make? I make good people. <laughs> I make good people. And that's a great way to lead it into a Taekwondo conversation. My job is to make great people. Make them more courteous. Make them more honest with themselves. Make them believe what they That's awesome. Do. I like it a lot. Yes, I like sir. it a lot. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, I make good people. Yes, sir. Taekwondo, it, it, it's an amazing... Uh, many of my parents ask me, how do does it fix kids? I can give you a lot of the reasons, but sometimes it's just the magic of Taekwondo. People need discipline in their lives. And I think if you forced, if it was awesome that everybody in this world could learn to do ITF Taekwondo and become a black belt, there'd be so much more peace out in this world. Well, isn't that one of the it student notes, right? It is. It is. She'll build a more peaceful world? That's right. And, you know, it's interesting. When parents come to me, um, I teach them, I tell them, I said, I'm going to teach your child how to be the most violent human being on the planet. I'm going to teach their violence how to be so effective that they could kill another human being with their bare hands. But through that, they're going to learn to be the most peaceful people that you will ever find. You know, the true warrior does not want to ever have to do war. They love peace more than anybody else. And it, it's amazing that through this art of unhand, unarmed combat, we, become, we can become the most violent, most efficient killers on the planet. But through it, we become the most peaceful, most kindest people that we possibly can. And it's just, it's a magical, magical thing. And it's, uh, you know, yeah. the founder of Taekwondo, he was a genius. He was a true, true genius. He's a genius. Yes, he is. Yes, sir. So, you know, it's interesting what you just said about um, Taekwondo and um, how it affects people's lives. And today, you kind of, I think you kind of see people moving away from traditional martial arts. Um, I think traditional karate has very similar values as Taekwondo. Yes, sir. <clears throat> and we're seeing a lot more maybe mixed martial arts. Yes, sir. Or, you know, the Krav Maga thing or whatever it is, yes, right? Sir. Well, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? Well, I, 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 I feel like I've been around long enough to see trends. And I will say this, traditional martial arts always wins. In the end, it's kind of like when you read the Bible, you go to the end, you know who wins. <laughs> you know, it's uh, good does win over evil. And in, in the martial art community, the traditional martial arts always comes back because it's a focus on discipline. It's not a focus on winning. And I believe that the mixed martial art, it all leads into the fight. It all leads into who wins. It's devoid of the, uh, the moral code. The Krav Maga, it is self-defense techniques that are only designed for self-defense purposes. It, it, it lacks that moral code. And I remember being in the seminar with General Che. Uh, he asked somebody, he said, what, what is Taekwondo? And somebody said, well, it's unarmed combat, it's self-defense. He said, if you only do Taekwondo for self-defense, he said, you're an idiot. He said, you should just go buy a gun because a gun is so much quicker. Because if you're just worried about self-defense, just buy a gun. Bad guy comes up to you, just shoot him. And that's the best way to defend yourself. Taekwondo is so much more than that. It does teach us how to defend ourselves. It does teach us how to be very efficient with defending ourselves. But it's so much more than that. And I think that's what our world lacks. It lacks traditional values. And I'll tell a story about Grandmaster Tompkins and President Che jung Ma. We were in Korea. We got asked to come up to President Che's hotel room. Grandmaster Tompkins, myself, and Master Crochet. And when we went up to his hotel room, 
we found out that two gentlemen in their mid-30s, early 40s, were visiting President Che. Two of his cousins, maybe one of his friends from Korea, had come to visit President Che and see him while he was in Korea. And we were in the room, we're talking with President Che, we got to know the people, but we really didn't get to know their names. But, you know, in conversation, President Che got up because he had to go use the restroom. And he walked over and he's like, oh, I have all these nuts. Here, why don't we eat those? And he put them down on the table. And he walked out of the room, and the young Korean man, 30s, 40s, was sitting next to Grandmaster Tompkins. He reached his hand up to grab a whole handful of nuts. And he pulled that handful of nuts back. And as his hand was drawing back, Grandmaster Tompkins reached across his lap and grabbed the man by his wrist. And I thought to myself, okay, people don't normally do that. (laughs) What are you doing, sir? But I'm thinking, oh, Grandmaster Tompkins is getting a little bit violent right here. And he grabbed the man's wrist and he turned and he looked at him and he said, did your mama not teach you better manners than that? And the Korean man kind of looked at him like, I can't believe this guy's grabbing my hand. But then he thought about what Grandmaster Tompkins said. And he reached his hand back, and he put the nuts back in the bowl, and he pulled his hand back, and he waited for President... And Grandmaster Tompkins to say another word, just kind of turned and looked forward. And I thought, okay, that was the most awkward situation, not a way to make friends. President Che came back into the room, sat down, kept talking. Three or four minutes went by, and this man spoke up. He said, sir, I want to apologize for something. He said, uh, when you got up, I reached in there, grabbed me a whole handful of nuts to grab it. And your master sitting right here, who is not a Korean, reached over and grabbed my hand and asked me, did your mama not teach you any better than that? And it dawned on me at that moment in time, there was an American, a white boy, who just taught a Korean about good manners. And that Korean knew better because his mama did teach him well. And I had to be reminded of what good things were. And I should have waited for you to come back and you'd have some. I knew better than that. And I want to tell you, this man right here, he is an awesome Taekwondo master. And at that point, President Che wanted Grandmaster Tompkins to be, uh, to teach good ethics and good manners back to the Taekwondo people. And it was amazing to see a man take the time to do something that was kind of weird, but he just said just a couple of words. As an older man would to a younger man, he guided him with just a couple words, and he changed that man's life. And that man never will forget that. Yeah. Never. <laughs> and he will say that about that man for the rest of his life. And I thought at that moment in time, my goodness, I just saw true Taekwondo, true Taekwondo etiquette. There is a time and place for everything. Yeah. So it was a, it was an awesome experience. And then, you know, if I could allude to just one other, one other instance, uh, we were at the World Championships in 2010 in Korea. A boy from Japan was up on the stage competing for first and second. He made a mistake. He lost. They bowed. The other man won. He walked off the stage, broke down into tears. An adult man, tears streaming down his face, went over to his team. And I was there with Grandmaster Tompkins as his assistant just to help him, because he was in a wheelchair at the time. And about two, three minutes, Grandmaster Tompkins said, remember that Japanese boy that was just competing? I want you to go over, find the translator, tell that translator I want to talk to that boy. So I did. Took him about 15 minutes to finally come over. The whole contingency of Japan came over, and I walked over to the translator. I said, Grandmaster Tompkins, master at the time, would like to talk to this gentleman. Tears still streaming down his face. 
The boy was real nervous to go talk to Grandmaster Tompkins. I spun Grandmaster Tompkins' wheelchair. We were off to the side. The tournament was still happening. A group of 15 Japanese people. Grandmaster Tompkins motioned for the boy with his hand to come over here. And the boy bowed, walked over, and about three feet from Grandmaster Tompkins, dropped down on two knees, kind of crawled towards him. Tears streaming down his face. This still brings me to tears to even think about this. Grandmaster Tompkins is a master. Pulled his wheelchair forward, reached out, grabbed this boy, and hugged him. Grandmaster Tompkins was a big guy. This guy's kneeling in front of Grandmaster Tompkins' wheelchair, and he just puts his head on Grandmaster Tompkins' chest. Grandmaster Tompkins just held him. This boy just cried. I know, a grown man, 35 years old. Tears streaming down his face. Grandmaster Tompkins just held him, let him cry. I turned around, whole Japanese team, man, they're all crying. Everybody's crying. Grandmaster Tompkins, he's not crying. He's just holding this boy. An older soldier to a younger soldier. After that, he talked to him and told him, I was very proud of what you did. You need to go home and take this as a lesson. You need to practice harder and not give up on yourself. The boy promised that he would do it and went home. And I thought to myself, what other master would have taken the time to go to the loser and, 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 and give him a word of kindness? But at the moment in time where words you would have thought would have been the best thing, it was just a hug. He just needed to know that he didn't fail and that somebody still believed in him. I thought, man, that's the guy I want to be. I want to be, I want to be that man. I want to be that instructor. And, you know, it's uh, it's just amazing. I, I still tell that story to this day. That is moving. That's, yes. a, <clears throat> that's a really nice story. Yes, sir. I think that's also a good reason why we can't have a master at 21, a fourth degree black belt at 14, because there is something more than just technical. Yes, sir. Something that we've learned as we grow older, yes, that other that younger people don't have, yes, and to be able to share that. Yes, I mean, that's why yes, sir. sometimes people shouldn't be masters because they haven't learned it. Yes, sir. And I and you could have young people be masters. I'm just saying yes, that. Yes, sir. You could be 80 years old and not really be a master because. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. And it's uh, you know, I've I've wrestled with that myself. I'm very young for an eighth degree. I'm only 48 years old. Not even 50 yet. Yes. You know. Um, and I've always wondered to myself, do I have those kind of life experiences enough to understand that? But the one thing that I also got from Grandmaster Tompkins was not just the physical aspect and the knowledge of Taekwondo, but some of his life experience. Here's a soldier who lost friends. Here's a soldier who watched people die. And when you lose people in your life, you grow. Yes. You grow as a person. Just checking. Yes, sir. You grow as a person and you start to understand, you know, as a soldier, you may have five friends today. Tomorrow, those five friends might be dead. And it makes you think to yourself that every day is precious. Every life is precious. And I think that every day, President Che talks about this all the time, to wake up every morning, try to do your best. And he says that at nighttime when you go to bed, if you don't feel like you did your best, make yourself a promise that tomorrow you're going to try to do better. You're going to try to think about the other person more more than just that. It's a new day. 
right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And life is new day, new start. Yes, sir. And take advantage of it. Oh, yes, sir. Be happy. Yes, sir. You know? Yes, sir. And that is where I believe traditional martial arts will win out over the physical aspects of martial arts. Yes, when sir. you just take the fighting and you just take the self-defense because it is that that binds a community together and keeps it going. And um, it's it's the part of our society that I believe we're losing. We're losing the, the community aspect. And you know, it's... There's a book that I would highly suggest anybody to read. It's called The Outliers. Don't know who wrote it, but it's called The Outliers. And they do statistical studies of why certain people are successful and other people aren't. And one of the chapters talks about a town in Pennsylvania where heart disease is almost zero. When you look at the population of people that live in this city in Pennsylvania, you find out they weigh just the same, they're overweight just as much, they don't do as much exercise, they look like everybody else overweight, don't really do this kind of stuff, perfect candidates for heart disease, but the community itself, there's no heart disease. Everybody around them, heart disease. So they wanted to figure out what is it? Something in the water? Is it something here? Is it something there? What is this anomaly that we're seeing? You trace the history of the town. A lot of the people that moved to this town came from a town in Italy. They emigrated from their small town to another small town. And they started finding that in this community, it was customary that your family would go visit another family on a Monday for dinner. That family would go visit another family on a Tuesday for dinner. Families were always moving around, being with each other, socializing, sitting down, having dinner. And they saw that it was that that caused the heart disease to go away. It was a sense of community, a sense of love, a sense of knowing that somebody else had your back. It was there for you, and that took that disease and got rid of it. They took it from Italy, they brought it over here, so it it was good there, and it was good here. What is a Taekwondo school? A Taekwondo school is a family of brothers and sisters who, for the rest of your life, you know that black belt would be there for you. It's what we need. It's what we need. It's, it's society. You don't get that in a martial art class where it's just self-defense. You don't get that in a fighting class where it's just winning and losing. And martial arts is about making yourself better and making the guy next to you better. And, uh, you know, it's it's not just the physical and the mental. They actually have proven that it even helps the, uh, you know, cellular position in that. And yeah, it's really amazing. We had a person from San Jose come. She was from New York. You know, and we meet so many people around the world, yes, sir. and we have a common bond, yes, sir. and <clears throat> that's a great feeling. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. It's family. And, and, you know, the World Championships is so amazing, not because of the winning and the losing. When you first go the first couple times, especially as a competitor, you, you think it's all winning and losing. But then as you go, and maybe now you become a coach or a referee or you just go and watch, what you start to see is it becomes community. All these people come into this building, like Grandmaster Tompkins always said, you hug them on the first day, you hit them on the second. (laughs) He always said, hug them on the first day, hit them on the second. We literally come into this building and we beat the crap out of each other. And on the last day, we love each other like brothers and sisters. And we know that the next day we're all going to be separated again. And we don't want that day to end. We want that day because we're there with our family. The whole world is together as one family. And you see the love and trading of things. And it's just great. And the day after you leave the World Championship, everybody has this big emotional letdown. It's like, I want it to keep going. Even though they're so tired, they miss their family. And they yeah. can't wait for the next two years. It's 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 a wonderful thing that 
at one moment in time, you can take all these people from different places in the world, put them in one building, let them beat the crap out of each other, and at the end, they love each other, respect each other, treat each other with kindness. Make they new do, friends. Make yeah, new friends. Absolutely. They do what the world was designed to do, and then they all go back home. And I think General Che was very intelligent to put tournament part into that. Because martial arts is not about winning and losing. And I've always wrestled with this. Why did General Che ever make tournaments? That goes against everything that martial art is about. But now as, as, as a master, I'm starting to see. Bring them all together. And it's through this common bond. They make all these friends. And then you go home. And it's like putting yeast in flour. You just got to put a little yeast in the flour. And it affects everything. You send these people home. They bring this kind of family back into their society. And they make a more peaceful world. That's what we need, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, Master Howard, it's, it was great talking to you. And, uh, you know, I'd like to maybe do it again. Oh, that'd be great, sir. Uh, you have an interesting story, and I think uh, we can learn a lot from what we've just discussed. Yes, sir. But, um, we can't cover everything. Yes, sir. So I'd yes, definitely sir. like to do that again. I really yeah. do appreciate it. Thank you, Master Dude. This has Thank been you. awesome. I've had so much fun, and I always love being around you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. You're my taekwondo I mean, brother. We're just, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I appreciate what we are. Yes, it's amazing. Um, we've been we've known each other for probably what, 2007? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Maybe I don't know about our path that we ever crossed earlier. Yes, sir. Might have. But so, you never know. So interesting is your first Taekwondo instructor, Grandmaster Sabri Sali, yeah. was a student of my highest ranking instructor, Grandmaster yeah. Park Jung Tae. Yeah. We literally come from the same school. That's right. Yeah. Because what Grandmaster Sabri Sali taught was the same thing that Park Jung Tae taught him. Park Jung Tae taught Grandmaster Thomas. Grandmaster Tompkins taught me. We all we, we come from the same root. Oh, from General Che. Same clock, huh? Same cloth. Yes, I mean, you, you asked me earlier today, your guys still punch from here, yes, from sir. over by the, the shoulder. Yes, sir. You know? yes, Why sir. do you do that? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. But well? we, we did the same thing. We did the same thing. And yes, it uh, makes a lot of intelligence. And, you know, I, I've loved watching your children grow up. And, you know, just because of when I met your kids and I know you, I've been able to watch your kids and through social media. It's been really cool because all the postings on Facebook, I've been able to watch Catherine and David grow up and become great men and women. And it's it's been awesome. You know, I, I feel like I've gotten to share in your life. And I think Taekwondo is kind of amazing in that. It is, yeah. To see... Uh, like your children, yes, or just all the people that we know. Yes, sir. You know, you, you do get to see them grow up. And go, yes, wow, that's awesome. Yes, sir. It is. Yes, sir. Uh, there was a there was a TV show that I used to watch, and uh, in the TV show, you had the good guy and the bad guy. Bad guy, he was becoming a bad guy, but his father was a real bad guy, real bad guy. And the good guy, <laughs> his dad was a good dad, and the the two boys. The boy told uh, the good guy, he said, uh, you know, when my dad dies, kings and presidents will come to his funeral. He said, but when your dad dies, his friends will come. And that's the thing. In Taekwondo, with our families, when we start leaving this earth, that's the one thing we can always be guaranteed of. Our friends will be there. Clear to the end. Yep. Clear to the end. That's so, true. <laughs> either you'll bury me or I'll bury you. But that's, that, that, that's Taekwondo brother or sister from beginning to end. That is neat. That's a good closing. Yes, sir. Thank Thanks, you very sir. much. Thanks, sir. Thank you. <laughs>